Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there and welcome to the next episode of Jedi Order Podcast, guys. Bringing a couple of bonus episodes your way this week, we're going to be doing a deep dive into the prequels of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. We did Phantom Menace probably about six months ago now, and then we got caught up in everything else that was going on. We had some guests on and we had The Mandalorian, and then we had WandaVision and time just slipped away from us. So we recorded these episodes a while ago, but we thought we'd put them out in the meantime whilst we're waiting for the new marvel series falcon and winter soldier and we're waiting for the justice league and we're waiting for suicide squad and we're waiting for godzilla versus kong so there's so much awesome content coming out that we're going to be covering all of it and we're also coming up to our one year anniversary and we're going to be getting some special guests come on as well so there's so much going on in the next couple of months that we're really excited about but for now we hope you enjoy these revisits of the classic prequels which were the Star Wars films when I was growing up but everybody has their favorite three mine is still the OG the original trilogy but I have a lot of fond memories of these films so me and Artif are gonna take a little trip down memory lane and see what Jar Jar's been up to We're doing prequel dives, and this time it's Attack of the Clones. Hey, dude, how you doing? Hey, Ben. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. All good. Um, yeah, l- enjoyed episode one. Now, looking forward to episode two. There's, I think, a lot to cover for episode two. Um, I think for me, the uh, where I'm going to start off is because I mentioned this quite a lot on the episode for episode one. Um, on episode one of episode one. Um, is the uh, the tone of the film, the overall tone. So as I mentioned in episode one, there was a very quite distinct, um, silly, serious tone that was set up by the the, the script and the filmmaking. Um, you know, lots of the battle scenes were also kind of, you know, had quips from Jar Jar or um, had concurrent scenes that were less serious than the serious ones. And, and you know, there was this kind of, battle between silly and serious at certain points and with no one really winning um but just kind of setting this kind of uh, somewhat of a mixed tone for the first film um as we mentioned it appealed i think the silliness appeals to kids um which i saw as a kid and it did appeal to me um i think the serious tone kind of was supposed to appeal to more of the legacy fans which i think it does in some respects but i can see why you know people are conflicted over it um and I think, you know, going into episode two, this is one of the things that Lucas really addressed in making episode two in that um, the tone from the from the get go completely shifts uh, much more into the serious realm um, for the film. I mean, from from the opening, um, the opening scene, which is already kind of it sets up the film as almost like this you know futuristic political thriller 
um you know with the jedis and the kind of you know sit there and but you know with the assassination plot of padme um and already that's quite a an intense scene to start with um and um it's because uh, it, it, it's not exactly an action scene, but it's it's quite a, you know, it's an explosion and it, it kind of it does grab your attention um, and sets the tone, I think, for a lot of the kind of scenes and the, and the characters and a lot of the character development actually into this film. And it really kind of shows that it's it's almost a more grown up version of of the Star Wars universe in some ways, um, especially compared to the uh, to episode one. And, and I think, I th- I don't think, um, I don't think it's, you know, I think it's quite interesting that it kind of moves into this serious shift because it, I think it works, but I, I also think that because again, it's almost like it becomes too serious at points that the film, um, the pace of it, I find, or I found on, on the kind of rewatching over the weekend, I, I actually found that it kind of lulled um especially in the first half because the film sets up this almost political thriller um and because of that and because of the heavy use of cgi scenery that lucas had done there's a lot of talking in which actually i you know again i'd seen attack of the clones in the cinema as a kid and i had quite enjoyed it um it's you know one of those films that i actually you know i remember the action I remember thinking it was, you know, there were some quite cool plot points like the clone planet. I loved Django Fett. Uh, I've always loved Django Fett and the Fets, to be honest, as characters. Uh, and to see him and it was, you know, a great joy to me as a kid. But rewatching it, I was, I kind of had forgotten a, a how serious the film was um, in the first almost, I mean, the first like hour, well, the first half of it really is, is there's actually barely any action really. Um, the only kind of action highlights that we get are, you know, the explosion at the beginning and then the second assassination attempt, um, which obviously Anakin then follows the assassin, or Anakin and Obi-Wan follow the assassin into uh, the, the kind of onto Coruscant and, you know, around the kind of the world there and into the bar. And that's the only really, you know, key bits of action that you get. Um, and so a lot more of it was sit down discussions really about the politics of the situation um and so the tone has already shifted quite remarkably um and not only from the kind of scene setups as well but also from the character setups i mean the moment you meet anakin he has already grown up so much um and actually like i i found him quite intense as a character you know he's this teenage jedi knight now but he's so cocky and so arrogant that it's almost like whoa like this guy has really like jumped the gun and he's so he's flirty with padme he tells her how much he's been thinking about her and and so you can already see that the film is moving into showing that anakin you know he's not the boy that he was and that he's he's taken on more of a a serious kind of outlook on 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 the world and you know it, it mentions that he you know, is obviously troubled greatly by his mother and the fact that he he can't help and he's been having these dreams, and um and again I I think similar to episode one there's a lot of so kind of re- talking about the first half of um, Attack of the Clones I think similar to episode one there's a lot of good ideas and themes 
However, I did find that the first half did lull quite a lot because there was a lot of sit down and talking and, and meetings and and actually there could have been more action points. Like like we had discussed on episode one, I really felt that the film could have started off with some sort of intro scene a la kind of Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade of showing Anakin, you know, as sort of a preteen or, you know, um, with Obi-Wan kind of going on a mission or doing training or kind of doing training first and him and, and their relationship sort of developing and then them going on missions or something and, and having a bit of a camaraderie and that brotherly relationship that, you know, kind of Obi-Wan, you know, talks about in episode three and, you know, and how he, you know, that he feels like Anakin is his brother. And I find that, you know, the film could have really done with that at the beginning. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it doesn't have it. And you kind of are launched straight into this relationship that Obi-Wan has with Anakin. And it feels already quite serious. And th there are some jokes, but uh, a lot of the jokes are kind of trying to rein Anakin in. And it, it, rewatching it, it did make me wonder as to what the background was to the Anakin-Obi-Wan relationship in terms of was it one of brotherly love or was it one of rivalry? Um, and I think, again, it kind of, it's a little bit undefined um, because the fact that Anakin is so intense, it kind of surprised me. And, you know, it made me think, why didn't Obi-Wan rein, rein him in more uh, throughout his training? And, you know, obviously this is something that we don't really see. And, you know, another kind of important point about Anakin's character development is, his relationship to his mother and then to Padme. And I think those are very connected in that his relationship to his mother and the longing that he has for her is similar to the longing he has for Padme, which is probably why his love is so intense for Padme. And that's a theme which I think, whilst it does explore it into later on in the film, earlier on in the film, they, they make a point of it, uh, showing that Anakin's having a dream about his mother, but the, they didn't, they, they don't use like a flashback or like a kind of scene flash to his mother in trouble or him imagining that he's helping his mother or saving him or, you know, some sort of scene which helps us understand more about his emotional attachment to her and, and how he feels and what he wants to do in the situation, like what he feels is right. Does he want to go and save her and, and, you know, kill the Tusken Raiders or does he want to, you know, kill Watu, his old, you know, uh, owner? Um, does he want to kill everyone on Tatooine? You know, you're not really entirely sure as to his relationship but you can clearly see that he's very conflicted and also conflicted with the his jedi training and the jedi way um so i think it's um you know for a setup it's interesting that it shifts to being so serious and i think again you know where episode one kind of gets almost too silly uh, i find that this film almost gets too serious at points um because you miss out on some of the, the, as I said, the kind of brotherly relationship between um, Obi-Wan and Anakin and uh, the justification of Anakin and um, and also how the Jedi Temple operates, how they train up their younglings, um, how they train up someone like Anakin, who's a, clearly, you know, very talented in the Force, but not trained as a Jedi. I think there's lots of questions that are thrown up, which could be serious questions within the Star Wars universe that it doesn't uh, look to address, which again, I find is kind of a shame. Like there's some really nice themes and ideas that aren't as entertaining as they should be. Um, and yeah, and I think from the first half kind of 
to, you know, breaking it into that section. Um, I was just quite surprised by how much sit down conversation there was actually on the rewatching and, and, um, and essentially how all the scenery was kind of set up like that, that, you know, you had these great kind of CGI scenes with CGI backgrounds of flying cars and things like that. So it makes it very epic. Um, but then because there's not much action because they're not really interacting with the scenes the scenes are very talking heavy and i think that almost does it a disservice because you've got you know someone like anakin who's clearly like talented in the force and trained um and we see you know part of his abilities when he's chasing the assassins but you know you don't fully comprehend how powerful he is or you know the fact that he's going to be a force to be reckoned with i think that could be more explored uh, as well as his like sort of emotional turmoil um, relating back to his mother um, and to Padme uh, as well as to, you know, his relationship with Obi-Wan. So that's kind of like my first half take on it. Like, uh, how, did, how did you think of, you know, the kind of the setting up of the, of the scene and the world and the tone of the film? Well, like you said, we end a Phantom Menace, especially in kind of celebration or the colors and the, party that's kind of happening and then Obi-Wan taking on um Anakin mm. and that's the kind of, the last time we see him is obviously still as this like young innocent boy and yeah when you come in the tone of this film you have the very much so political thriller is what this film is and it you know with a dramatized love story kind of in the background but you're not your conventional love story either mm. So, and funnily enough, like we were talking about a lot in The Phantom Menace, the evolution of Jar Jar's character, oh, you yeah. see within the opening few minutes of um, this film has almost become a political aid. Yeah. He's completely transformed and has a pretty down-to-earth conversation with Anakin. He's with... Padme in from what it seems like in her new role as a as like I was saying as a political aid to her in discussions with the Senate in discussions with the Jedi when Obi-Wan and Anakin come in so I think they're setting it out it's almost kind of like they're saying at the beginning what what we've this was our most like supposed to be hilarious comical character yeah. Phantom Menace, and even now he's really serious, yeah. which is like setting the undertone for the whole of the film. But for me, very much so, like you said, the introduction of Anakin kind of made me take a step back. Once again, I understand he has to take this journey, mm. going to ending up in becoming Darth Vader, but he his relationship with Obi Wan is quite a bit of a confusing one I find in the opening scene scenes with them two together you have Obi-Wan almost kind of supporting him in the lift sequence before they come up to seeing Padme mm. you know don't let your thoughts betray you you know you're sweating are you okay you know there's obviously clear concern about Obi-Wan's thoughts over Anakin mm. and and Anakin's very honest with him, very open with him, especially within those first few minutes. And then as soon as they get in that room, Anakin seems to turn almost automatically to this arrogant, I know what's best. Hmm. Don't tell me what to do. 
but he brings the situ the the situations upon himself of people looking down at him and him tripping up over suddenly becoming too arrogant and saying things that obviously weren't rehearsed against Obi-Wan, yeah. which forces Obi-Wan into a corner of having to assert his authority as the master. Hmm. And then you have a few minutes later where it becomes again this duo team joking between each other while, when they're chasing the assassin that's been hired to uh, kill Padme. He even references Obi-Wan as being like, you're like a father to me. Just like off the cuff when they're walking into this bar. And already you get in that opening 10 minutes so much that's going on between excuse me, going on between Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship and Anakin as a character himself, I feel in the first 10-15 minutes of the film you're bombarded almost with so much going on with one yeah. character, which like you said, it made me take a step back, like I said before just because I was like, whoa this character of Anakin is completely so far removed from the Anakin we saw in The Phantom Menace and yes, 10 also years has passed he's obviously a different person since then but everyone else seems to be following the same beat apart from obviously mm. Jar Jar's character is in a more of a serious role but yeah. Anakin's just the completely different side of the spectrum yeah you're absolutely right I think you know um, when you compare him to someone like Obi-Wan and how Obi-Wan's actually still relatively similar like 10 years later or however long it is um and I, and I think for me, that kind of threw up, you know, um, just kind of a, a point of interest that it was like Obi-Wan seems so calm and normal and similar to before. And Anakin is so like, forward with his his points that he makes. He's almost I have actually written in my notes that he's almost obsessive over Padme. Um and I, I kind of put as a sort of a little Freudian analysis, but it was perhaps due to the loss of his of control over his mother. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of I I'm um, I'm also kind of not entirely sure as to you know what had had happened or you know why Anakin hasn't adhered more to the Jedi way as well throughout his Jedi training because essentially he's supposed to be almost monk like at the moment, um, but kind of in the first scene you see him and also when he's with Padme who he hasn't seen in a long time and he's so forward with her and you know they haven't seen each other since he was a kid um that's almost like whoa like this guy is really really intense um which I, I, I quite like that Anakin is intense um I don't think it's wrong because you know at this point he's probably what a teenager um yeah he has as well as now you know being a strong Jedi Knight he has you know or you know Jedi Padawan or whatever kind of stage he's at but you know as well as that he's also clearly got a lot of teenage hormones like rushing around his veins and so the intensity almost makes sense for me um but it, I mean it does make sense but I just think that there could have been some more justification in why he's so intense or you know a little bit of background exploration as to showing like he's intense because he keeps thinking about his mother or he keeps thinking about Padme or Padme and his mother or Padme is his mother or something like that you know and not to get you know uh, not to kind of 
I just really to show where his his drive is as a character, really, um, and and where he, you know, he will stray eventually, and you know, he eventually strays in in both those relationships that he has. That first, it's his mother that he kind of takes that step into, you know, killing all the Tuscan raiders, um, and it's quite a, a cold, dark step that he takes, um, and then you know, ultimately, kind of falling in love with Padme and really, you know, fighting for that independent relationship with her. Um, which is what pushes him further and further to the dark sun. I think that we could have used more of early days Anakin to help set that up. Um, but you know, it as I said, it does kind of make sense to me that he is in this sort of situation uh, with that sort of mindset. Um, and yeah, I I think you know it's interesting that you kind of that that bar scene for me was interesting because yeah he he you know and again in that whole chase scene with the assassin he you you learn more about the relationship that he has with obi-wan and i felt that they kind of put a lot of things into that to kind of highlight the relationship but that sort of thing could have been spread out a bit more to you know with the kind of prequel scene that we've discussed um up until this point you know but it feels that they're putting quite a lot into that to show like, oh, this is actually their relationship and that's how he feels about Obi-Wan. And, you know, and it's like almost a little bit out of place at points, um, which I think, again, it's because a lot. this film has a lot of ideas that they're trying to put in. And I think some of the ideas, I, I think like most of them are generally quite good, but they, there needs to be so much editing on a lot of the kind of aspect. Like I think, you know, as I mentioned, like the first half feels like a political thriller, and I think a lot of that could have been cut down or uh, condensed into more concise scenes or scenes with a bit more action or, you know, something more happening, a bit more energy. But because a lot of the scenes are sit down talking, it, it feels like, and especially after episode one, where you've kind of, you know, as I said, like one of the things I, I, re I liked about episode one was the pace actually moves it along in a way which the two hours and 15 minutes length time doesn't really feel like that and actually this one you know is a longer film and already from the first half it feels like a longer film because there is so much talking um you're right that... you're right it's oh. very much it is from scene to scene discussions going from whether you're in palpatine's office mm. going through a political discussion you're with padme either not in the Senate or with her delegates talking about current situations that need to be progressed and where things need to go, which is obviously why she's the focus of an assassination attempt. And then you jump to Jedi Temple yeah. and discussions between um, Yoda and Mace Windu and Obi-Wan and the Jedi Council. And then, of course, you chat, jump again to a lot of discussions between Padme and Anakin. So, yeah, you're very much, whereas in The Phantom Menace, almost it has those kind of multiple storylines all moving steadily together, yeah. intertwining with each other. But there's a very continuous pace going throughout it. A huge majority, especially the first half, if not three quarters of this film, is very slow because you have eventually Padme and Anakin go away because she gets put in 
put on a planet for safety and he looks after her and that's how their relationship evolves. And then but Obi-Wan's mission to find out um, some of the goings on where we have the clone army. That's all a lot of discussions as well. Yeah. Very much. I, I feel that there's three or four times that we go back to Obi-Wan simply having a discussion with the creators of the clone army, which eventually leads to his chat with Django and then confrontation with Django. But yeah, it's, it's so different in terms of yeah. what type of movie it is. The pace of the movie is so different and it very much, it's, it's more intertwined with episode three for sure. Yeah. It's more of a straight follow-on. There's so many elements that stick between the two. Episode three has more action. Episode two ends in, obviously, a massive yeah. load of action at the end. But yeah, it's it's quite interesting. One One thing I do like about it, though, is I do enjoy the evolution of Palpatine's character, yeah. which we get to get into more. Yeah, I agree. I, I think seeing Palpatine's character... Um... First of all, because in the first one, he just seems to be a bit of a, a Naboo representative and then he becomes, he kind of goes further and you see him as a statesman, as, as a political mover and you get more of the fact that, okay, he's, he's, a, he's a politician um, and obviously we know him as, you know, uh, ultimately the emperor, but you can see that he's such a, a typical politician in the way that he's seizing power and actually that's one of the things that i do really like about the prequel trilogy is that the kind of political seizing of power by the emperor and you can see how he's moving and and also his influence on anakin i think again like there's a one or two scenes where they meet and they talk and you can see that he's pushing anakin's independence in a way that is making him stray from uh, from obviously from the Jedi Order and further to the dark side, and I, and I, I actually I, I enjoy that. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Again, with Attack of the Clones, it it does I think suffer similarly to Episode One in that. So, and I think it's because because Palpatine is assumed to be obviously the ultimate bad guy. The the film doesn't really set out a primary. Um opponent for obi-wan and anakin like clearly there's someone trying to assassinate padme but we're not entirely sure who it is um and even when they you know reference count dooku early on you know they all disown the fact that he's a sith lord or you know and they they actually talk about him quite highly like oh dooku was a an ex-jedi knight and he was a padawan of yoda and and things like that so and ultimately dooku actually ends up being the bad guy a strong bad guy as well um or well, strong Sith Lord, I should say. Uh, no, there aren't just normal bad guys. It's Sith. Um, but he ends up being quite a strong character. And, you know, and for more than half of the film, he's not in it, which is quite interesting because I think that downplays the seriousness of the threat because you, you don't really have... It, again, it becomes like a, quite a faceless sort of entity, which is how the Emperor operates, but it's not really how his underlings operate. Yet in this sort of way, you've got Count Dooku, who's this very removed character who only becomes a bad guy in the last third, really, of the film, um, which is a, a kind of odd thing. And I, I think, um, you know, as you said, like, you know, the film, it, it's quite interesting because 
the way it moves uh, for me there's very distinct sections to this film so obviously it starts with this political thriller and and you know i like the fact that it's kind of on coruscant and it's this developed world and it, it almost feels quite blade runner like the, the the atmosphere of the city um i think they could have done more in that bar scene to be honest i think the bar scene was a bit underwhelming um because you know of just how notable bar scenes are in star wars um but I do find that you know, when that bar scene came along, I, I thought, well, it looks like Oceana, you know, that you'd get in Watford on a Saturday night with even some of the same people. Um, there was something about it which was almost like they could have done more, I think, with it, uh, more with maybe some of the characters. Maybe I mean, the Death Sticks thing is kind of a bit of a, you know, a kind of funny comedy relief, but that's one of the only bits of comedy relief that you get in the first half. So, yeah, so it moves from this kind of, distinct political thriller on this you know built up political planet you know very much kind of futuristic at you know at the center of the galaxy etc and then it moves to this romance uh on naboo between um between um anakin and padme which is which is an interesting shift because again the tone shifts in a way where it's a it's serious but in a different way it's in a romance way and that's kind of and you know as you said it's there's running concurrently to it is the is obi-wan sort of spy story of investigating things and you know and again it's kind of a bit of a lull it's not as much action until you know he he doesn't really face action until after speaking to Django and when he's leaving and then confronting Django. that's really the only kind of bit of action you get after the assassination scene um which is, you know, it's quite a long time in the film. Um, and so I think, yeah, for me, like, I was kind of surprised that, like, the especially because I watched it directly after episode one and the lull and energy of the kind of action or, you know, or even the jokes or whatever, like, it, it, it lulls to the point where you're almost like, oh, wow, this is... It, you could tell that they were really taking a different tone with it. And once the, you know, the romance on Naboo starts, it's... I think it's a great kind of setting for showing how Anakin and, and Padme fall in love and how their love is forbidden and things. Again, I do think that some of the scenes can be condensed quite a lot and because they're not. And again, I think related also to the city scene, there's like some CGI parts or some, you know, background green screen things that it almost makes their acting a little bit clunky. And I think episode one suffered with this, where there were points where, you could tell the actors are acting to green screen and they're not looking each other directly in the eye or they look, you know, and some lines don't quite work or, you know, so again, I, I think this, you know, it's pretty much the theme for all, all three for me, which is, you know, there's some great themes, ideas, uh, but just some execution is, it just needs to be much tighter, um, less clunky. Um, just, and, and perhaps, you know, and also, you know, including points of action or, energy that help explain to the audience more of the situation or the scenario or the mindset of certain characters um i what, what did you like what once you come to the romance part did you how did you feel kind of about that that section the romance section of the film is something that i always struggled with because although inevitably i can see why it's it's kind of that age old story, isn't it? Where where a girl falls for a guy with a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. 
it, or it's it you know it's that kind of falling for someone that you feel you can help fix them or make them better yeah. and because when you see the relationship evolve between Anakin and Padme which yeah it's extremely intense from the beginning because I understand he's from a point of where he's been a Jedi so he's been trained he's been kept away from leading a normal life and he's thought about her and like his mum are the only two people that he's probably thought about over the past 10 or so years however much time it is whereas she lives so much more of a in terms of a fuller life in terms of responsibilities and mm. her country she's gone from leading it as a monarch to politically leading it in the in the wider galaxy world so there's been obviously so much more that has gone on with her during that time. So when she's seeing him, she's a bit more like, well, obviously I reference you back to you always be that little boy to me that <laughs> I met on Tatooine because in her mind, that's where the memory of Anakin stops. Hmm. And then there's so much that went on in between that time. So initially, obviously you get the reluctancy from her side, excuse me, uh, the reluctancy from her side in terms of her relationship being anything more than acquaintances mm. with Anakin. And then Anakin does that exact same thing again that he did with Obi-Wan, where he, she, him and Padme go back to Naboo and they go and have a meeting with the current uh, queen. And they're talking about, I think, political motives and how Naboo is represented and the next steps in various uh, things. And he does the same thing he does with Obi-Wan at the beginning, really arrogantly jumps in, tells her what she should be thinking or how his way is the best way. And she obviously fights back towards that. And then we move on to them being isolated together. And that's actually really where the relationship blossoms and it kind of goes in to what it ends up being but for me it never quite sit right their yeah. relationship just because i felt it came from such kind of a negative obsessive point from his side but then i feel their relationship bonded and all because of them being isolated together spending so much time together and that's getting no i think she had a lot of sympathy for him yeah, it's, it's, and the sympathy is what evolved into caring, which is what evolved into the love uh, from her side of things, I believe. But I still struggled with some of the scenes, the floating apple um, <laughs> being one of them. Um, that, that that scene where they're on those things in the field where Anakin rides that giant tick or whatever it is in the field. Oh, God, like, I have to say, I, I did cringe at that part quite badly. It was like, oh, God, like... But you're right in saying it is a big lull in the film because you have two storylines going on at the same time there, which are Obi-Wan's investigation. Hmm. But during that point, he's just sitting down having conversations and then you go back sitting down to Anakin and Padme just having conversations. <laughs> and that that solidly eats up nearly half an hour of time. At least, yeah. yeah. So I feel very much like you... If there's one thing, if I had to make one change, and one change only in Attack of the Clones, would be to speed up that particular sequence. 
Mm, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that you highlight the point of like Padme's relationship with Anakin and how it, because it, I was a little bit unsure of the way it moved. Because um, you're, it, and it's interesting because, you know, at the end of episode one about episode one, uh, you know, we, we spoke about how Padme was like this, you know, even when she's young, she's a strong character. She's action-based. She takes things into her own hands. She's, you know, political. She's always kind of at the forefront of decisions. And yet here, you know, she's kind of confronted with this, this sort of like obsessive teenager. And instead of kind of being, <laughs> taking it into her hands, she almost eventually gives into it. Um, which I can see how it works at, points in that yeah they're isolated together and they kind of have some fun and everything but i do think that she she loses some of her independence as like as a character and kind of as like you know as the love interest as a female character because she's such a strong female character that actually in that she you know she pushes them away at first but then and 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 you can and that's the thing i think the film does show that she is struggling with it that she she does resist him um and she does say that it's wrong and it's you know not in line with this teaching but then she kind of throws that all away and is like you know what you know and, and it's actually the scene before they enter the arena where she's like actually i love you and that i love you was for me a bit like holy crap like that just sort of i mean i, I get it they've spent time together and everything and he does care for her but it was almost like was she telling him that because she felt that she they were going to die and maybe she should tell him or was she telling him that because she really cares about him? I mean, clearly she does really care about him, but it was almost like, yeah, that, that lull in the middle of that romance part there, you know, and some of the acting is a little bit, I have to say like that there, there was, there's one particular scene where I think Anakin's talking to her about going back to Tatooine to see his mother. And that, and that's supposed to be a really dramatic scene. And actually the two of them acting in that is they both, they're both quite wooden. Um, I don't think they're wooden throughout the whole thing, but there are some parts, I think, and I think this is to do with the fact that, you know, Attack of the Clones is so CGI, digital heavy, that eventually, you know, a lot of the actors, they don't really understand the scene or they're somewhat removed from their characters and where they are and how how they're supposed to be. And, and some of the wooding does, some of the acting does feel a bit wooden. And because of that, it, it, it doesn't achieve the relationship as well as you'd hope, but it does kind of move it along in the way that it makes sense, I suppose, for Anakin's arc and that they have to have a, you know, end up in a relationship. Um, so I think it makes sense for the scene to be there, but yeah, as we said, it's like, it could have been shortened down. Um, and probably interspliced with more action from Obi-Wan's side, you know? And the way I kind of feel, um, the more I think about it and the more I think about Padme's situation and how she, like you said, yeah, she's an amazing character. And I do feel as the films went on, you, you have a glimmer of it, especially more at the beginning of Attack of the Clones. But as the films go on, especially into Revenge of the Sith, we lose so much of the great things that make Padme's character so good. Mm. And yes, she then becomes this kind of sideline story behind Anakin, which I understand that Anakin is obviously the main focus. His story is is the Skywalker saga. Mm. But I still feel she could have been given more 
to kind of work with a more fighting spirit that she clearly has. Hmm. And it makes me wonder, does she almost give in to Anakin because I don't know, maybe does she have the same sort of life? Whereas in her life has been so full of duty Mm. from being in a monarch and being um, in politics that she also during that time has never formed any real connections with anyone like she did Annika maybe when she was younger that nostalgic feeling of having Mm. a connection with someone when you're younger and then meeting them again which made her see things I don't know might have made her character I guess see things differently that's how their relationship evolved maybe in her head because maybe this was one of the only relationships she'd ever had. Yeah, absolutely. So Attack of the Clones is kind of, it very much has all these different elements to it. And like you said, it is very much split into sections more notably than the other films. It is is very much this, this section middle section end section rather than a continuous flow i feel there's very much more structure to different points in different ways yeah rather than a continuous structure from beginning to end yeah and i think and i think that structure actually is where it the kind of romance section breaks down in that it feels like its own section and as you said kind of put against obi-wan's story but then it, it almost like it feels like it has to run the length of Obi Wan's story as well, um, which maybe makes it feel actually too long. Um, because the, I, I, there was some scenes like there's a scene where they're kind of inside and they're talking to each other, where it looks like they're kind of about to make out, and that scene is a bit like you know you've had the field scene beforehand, then there's that scene, there's, there's the other scene of Anakin talking about you know his relationship or you know thinking about his mother, and there's like these kind of you know like sit down scenes about their kind of you know their developing relationship and it feels almost like it just could have been summed up so much quicker um or maybe in like a more fun way or more action-based way or something with a higher energy to make it feel like it moves along more but um it kind of doesn't so i did i have to say i did find like this the the kind of first half i mean i you know i mean it, it I think it was boring at points. Um, and as I said, like, I think there were lots of good ideas that they've kind of explored throughout the first half. Um, but then it just, it, it just, it, it just lulls really. As I said, there's no kind of action or kind of no comedy. So a lot of it is very serious and very kind of uh, script heavy. Uh, and even, you know, being in the Jedi temple, for example, uh, you know, you see the younglings and, you know, that gives you kind of a bit of a, an inkling to how the Jedi train young people and things like that. And where Anakin kind of missed out on his training, but you don't get any more of that, which is I think unfortunate because, you know, you could have shown how young Jedi were training or Anakin being like, Oh, I remember when I did that. And then him doing a bit of training or something, you know, something to show how far he's progressed from being just a kid. And, you know, and as we said in episode one, that he, you know by episode two like you know in episode one he was a tech obsessive you know he was building all sorts of things he was this sort of little genius and then by episode two he's completely done away with that he's still a great pilot but he's now doesn't think of tech at all really um and doesn't really reference it doesn't build anything doesn't create anything and it's almost like that could have been 
like a good vehicle to show his how he's grown up and how his his priorities have changed but they don't really address that too well i think um and yeah so i I think the romance part is kind of a little bit it lulls and then but then after that you know once he you know once um obi-wan fights Django, it kind of picks up a little bit and then you know obviously anakin goes back to tatooine um with padme uh to find his mother and I, i i like that scene actually i think that's a really important scene i think that's quite it's quite well done actually um the fact that you meet kind of you know uncle owen and 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 co um you see tatooine and the farm and stuff um and then you see him kind of back on the world seeing water again um i think that i think that's a you know i i would have kind of done less of naboo and more maybe of tatooine to show again like how anakin had has grown up as uh as a character um and then, of course, you know, the, the Tuscan Raiders scene is it's a brutal scene, actually. Um, and it really goes to show like Anakin's, you know, emotion taking him over and, you know, straight to the dark side. Um, I think it's, you know, it's quite a uh, it's poignant and it, it's quite sad, actually, you know, when he kind of meets his mother and then she doesn't even finish telling him that she she loves him before she dies. There's a lot of emotion kind of packed into like almost what like five or ten minutes really of scenery whereas the Naboo scene is almost like half an hour of this drawn out love story and it's like if they could have been split up a bit more evenly that could have uh, it could have moved the film along I think in a better better way um from my perspective um and actually you know it's interesting because with the Tuscan Raiders point you know there was one thing which again because I watched episode one and two like back to back Tuscan Raiders seem to be like Anakin's or the Skywalker's like Bane found like sort of really annoying enemy in a way, which, but, you know, like, but plays a massive part in the Skywalker destiny. Cause you know, in, in the pod races, you see the Tuscan Raiders shoot and almost like miss Anakin. And that's almost like, it's almost, it's almost like Tatooine's way of how it treats the Skywalkers. And it's like, Oh, it almost gets him, but then he gets away from it. And then in the second one, the Tuscan Raiders, kill his mother and like brutalize you know her and everything and that's like you know almost like them getting him you know they didn't get him in the first one but they got him in the second one and then obviously you know jumping forward to luke you know the tuscan raiders play a massive part in how he meets obi-wan um so i i found that quite funny actually how the tuscan raiders are always this this destiny tool <laughs> for lucas to like kind of move the skywalkers into you know some new phase or something like that or meeting someone else um which is when are we get when are we getting the sand people saga yeah exactly you know like it's uh and it, i think it's interesting that he uses the tuscan raiders as this sort of plot device i think I, th- I think it works because they're so primal in how they are and they're so unrefined compared to like the jedis or or you know coruscant etc that it's that sort of you know that relationship between the the wild and domesticated side and you know whilst anakin came from that more wild side he's become more domestic but then it's like they pull him back to that primal side which is where he gets angry and emotional and so they it works kind of you know well and i and i like that scene i, I think that's a good scene and i think they could have made much more of it and i actually it kind of it makes me it the when they cut away when he starts you know cutting down the tuscans i think that was a point where they could have actually had some real action into it and you you know, you can see the Tuscans fighting and, you know, trying to take him down or something. And, you know, some of Anakin's brutality, 
um but they kind of don't they, they don't dwell on it enough i think for my for my liking um which you're is very... because i think that's where the action starts picking up sorry you you're very right there because it really is the film is almost split into two hours isn't it the first hour is very much that political thriller. There's a lot of chat. There's a lot of time spent on Naboo mm. and time with Obi-Wan kind of finding out loads of information, which is fine. But yet time, I feel, would have loved a bit more Jedi Temple in that in that first hour because we so clearly could have had it. Just you see that brief moment of Obi-Wan walking into the class of younglings that yoda's teaching and just on the walk in he walked passes like six really cool jedi you're like what about those guys um just even for a couple of minutes can we have something there um but yeah, yeah. even if they were training or something i agree they could have they could have thrown more done more service to the jedi temple and the jedis especially because this is the first time that we see the jedi order as how it was in the old world and and it's a shame that we don't see more of it more of the action more of the way they live their life more of of the temple um because the temple just seems to be this unfortunately the cgi background which for me it's like what else is there you know um what secrets do the jedis hold in their training that make them what they are and you know how they come to be this powerful is there history behind it you know it would be there's so much that you know they can tap into which they don't to make the story just i think wider in terms of where you know audience interests lie because everyone wants to learn about the jedi and how they work and that i found that they kind of missed a, a big trick there that it was the perfect opportunity to sort of and they could have done it in you know a bit of a comical fun action-based way where it's like as i said like if Anakin was doing some training again to show the younglings like how he how well he does or something or if he had a competition with Obi-Wan or something like that you know that actually could have been a really effective use of having that you know scene plot point um used as a way to develop the characters as well as move the story along uh, as well as you know go into more depth of the Star Wars universe and you know love things like the Jedi and also, uh, yeah, very much so. And like you were also saying how when Obi-Wan's confrontation with Jango Fett happens, that kind of kicks off a new section of the film. Mm. And how I feel the focus or the time given to just Obi-Wan's confrontation with Jango, even if we got that same amount of time with Anakin's confrontation with the Tusken Raiders would have been would have added i feel so much more like you were saying because we get that scene is begun and over in next to no time at all and it's kind of it's like finding his mum losing his mum taking down a whole entire camp of tuscan raiders and their families yeah. and their families in 60 to 90 seconds you know we're kind of we're moving at such a fast pace when we've just spent more time on floating a pear across the table yeah. or, or apple or whatever it was but i feel like you say those were really key moments um in anakin's story especially that i feel we could have I would have loved to see more of a dialogue before Anakin's mum passed away, more of a dialogue between them both. Mm. And then the fight with the Tusken Raiders to be more 
of a conflict for Anakin in terms of, I understand it was probably showing his rage and the height of his powers, but still I feel that could have been more depth of him, of the rage making him misstep a few times because he's attacking in rage and he's not thinking about what he's doing. It would have been great if he came off maybe just slightly wounded by that scenario that took place that we could have spent a bit more time there because I feel that would have given slightly a a tad bit more damage to the character moving Mm. forward. Yeah, and and absolutely. And it's such an emotional scene, you know, like, as I said, like, you know, finding his mother and everything like that, that it almost feels like him lashing out is almost needed to balance that out because it's so heavy on the, on the sadness that it's like, okay, now he's, he's going to balance that sadness with extreme anger. And, you know, you see him come out the tent and with his, with his lightsaber drawn and, you know, and then the Tuscan Raider runs towards him and it, and the scene cuts and it's like, Oh wow. Like imagine if you had seen, as you said, like him with his Jedi powers kind of, first of all, showing that he's an incredible like lightsaber man against like these wild people or wild creatures or whatever. Um, as well as like his force abilities, like if he's, I don't know, pushing them back or like blowing over like structures and things like that and or like choking them out or whatever really uh it would have been a really good indicator of anakin's character at that point and how he has grown up how he's progressing his training how deadly he is how lethal he will become um and yeah they it, it, it's i i i'm it's actually surprising kind of like thinking about how as you said like it was only 60 to 90 seconds of 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 film when you you've just had like an hour and a half of political and romance you know sort of plot points um and then you've got and i think it's such a key scene as well you know because it's him going back to his home and you know sort of you know severing the sort of metaphorical umbilical cord that there still is between him and his mother uh with a lightsaber you know um it's it's so symbolic that I I I feel that they almost don't pay it enough importance, unfortunately. Um, You're right. It's such a key moment in his whole character development and character shift hmm. as well. And I feel it's just it's kind of here and then gone, and then before you know it, we're just getting on with the rest of the film. Yeah, and it's. And then, of course, um, you have the next element of the film, which is Anakin and Padme going on their first kind of joint mission to a certain extent to help Obi Wan. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's quite it's quite funny how we sat in the political thriller and we sat in all the conversations we did do for the first hour to hour and twenty minutes. Yet yeah, that moment kind of flashed by, blink and going, oh yeah, well, just so you guys know, this is really key on why he becomes. It, well, why it makes it an even easier transition for him to become Darth Darth Vader down the line. Yeah. But even though one of the things I I did very much like about Attack of the Clones is I do like that we maybe this is obviously we're talking about the stuff in between, but we're jumping forward mm-hmm. closer to the end now. I do like that you do get a lot more Jedi in the big battle at the end and which is which is nice after us just saying that we don't actually get as much jedi temple 
mm. as we wish we had. Is there is there anything kind of that stands out to you uh, in this film as your kind of favorite scene or something that you really enjoyed? You like the fact that it was in there? Yeah, I mean, as you you kind of hit the you know the the main point there, which is, I mean, for me, especially thinking back to the first time I saw it as a kid as well, and now like my favorite scene is the war scene um which starts off with the arena you know on geonosis um and i i, I think the build-up to the scene is I, I i'm not a huge fan of that factory scene of like anakin and padme kind of jumping around and getting caught in the machinery i think that I, again it's kind of it, it's sort of you know something to build up the pace but i just feel that it's a bit like out of place and a little bit I, I mean, I, I, I get it. That's like their base of operations, but it just feels a bit unnecessary. And also just, again, it kind of delays getting to count Dooku as a bad guy um, and, you know, and dealing with him and his sort of group or whoever he's kind of working with and trade federation people, it, it, you know, it, 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 I can see where, you know, as I said, it, it builds up the pace to the arena scene and it's kind of needed in a way because it's so, because the, the first half of the film is such on such a kind of low energy uh, footing that that scene, you can tell like they're revving it up to have the big arena battle. Um, but I just, I just find that it's a bit of a, it feels like a kind of a game that they're kind of jumping from platform to platform and it's a little bit like, uh, and because of the amount of CGI that there is, it feels almost like a game um so i don't i like for me that scene is like eh, you know i don't really mind and, and as i said like earlier i like dooku as a kind of enemy i think he's a really interesting character and again he's a really interesting character who is they don't pay him proper due diligence because he i mean you know when again kind of jumping forward a little bit you know when anakin and obi-wan fight him he's so strong you know, he's an old guy, but he destroys them in in the lightsaber battle. And then, you know, he has the force lightning ability and like he's a really strong Sith character. Um, and you don't see that until the last half an hour. And I think that for me kind of it's, it's, um, uh, it's kind of a misses again, because, you know, they could have introduced him earlier on and had him, I don't know, like either brutalizing some people to make sure that they're under his command or him you know, again, using his force powers to get his way or the emperor's way or something or the emperor using him or his relationship with the emperor, you know, which again, we don't see until like episode three. Um, and Dooku, you know, he's, he's, I mean, once they get to the planet, it's essentially kind of his realm. Um, and I think that they just don't really use him and his sort of army enough. And it's again, a little bit disjointed in, the arena and the kind of the flying creatures that live there and what his relationship is with them. And, you know, you know, we understand that the world is where they're producing the droids and where the trade federation are. Okay. But how has it been established? How is Dooku running the place? How, you know, there could have been more, I think, context to, to help just, uh, lay out the foundation for Dooku and, and the relationship and, and, you know, and that final scene. Uh, but then again, you know, as I said, I really like the battle scene of the arena. I think that's um, you know, like you, you know, you get to see so many key Jedi just finally in like a proper 
full-on battle scene of being fired at and they're like you know deflecting all the the, the shots that are coming at them and mace windu is just such a badass and he's just taking people down in his fight with Django and you know I, and again and you see Django fighting I, I you know as I mentioned earlier I love Django's character so I you know I always remember fondly as a kid and now I love seeing Django use his weapons and I always think he's such a, an interesting character because he's this bounty hunter who's not afraid to take on the Jedi like everyone else is petrified of the Jedi and they have this legendary status and yet Django's there like oh it's just another job sort of thing and he's just you know using his little tricks and things like that to to get his way and then you know again i i i mean i I would have loved more from django really maybe if the first kind of assassination scene had been a fight between django and and anakin and obi-wan that could have been interesting um because i I almost feel that he's it's almost like he's a bit short-lived again in in the film he's like another kind of villainous character who you know, we see him setting up the assassination at the beginning and then we see him on the cloning planet, which again, I think is an interesting scene and an important scene, I think, as well, um, because it goes to show how, you know, the Jedi work and how certain Jedi were thinking ahead for certain things. And, you know, and then also his kind of, the way his kind of character is is used as the clone and and you know why is it because of his physical capabilities or something and you know and his relationship with boba fett and you know there's a lot there which unfortunately isn't ex- as explosive as, as as i said like as a fan of Django, like as it could have been um just because he's got so much intrigue to him uh, and so many cool gadgets and things he feels like he's a sort of bottom villain but like or a henchman but like the main one you know um and yeah, and maybe he could have been more linked with Count Dooku and then Count Dooku more to the Emperor or something like that. Um, so it's... Um, so yeah, I mean, I think once it gets to the arena scene, it... I mean, obviously it does pick up and I... I, I yeah, I do like the arena scene um, and the action and kind of the attack of the clones after... or oh, the clone army as well and how they come in. Um, I think it's quite, quite enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and I also like that the kind of Jedi have this army that they're fighting with. Um, seems quite cool that it, it puts them in a different light. That the this sort of this you know these knights you know of, of the Round Table, as you kind of said earlier, um, leading their way into the side of good against the forces of evil. And it, it just it was yeah, it's quite an epic scene to be honest. And then it kind of like builds out. Um, but yeah, there are, there are so many points that you picked upon there, and we go back to firstly, like the, you said about the factory scene, and I think that scene is mm. a scene where CGI does let it down. Yeah. It's it's just extremely noticeable. It's extremely CGI uh, CGI heavy. Yeah. Um. And I feel that very much is a hindrance to that scene. Although I've I feel there could have been maybe more of a scene involving the creatures that were in those caves more so and how Padme and Anakin end up being captured rather than (laughs) I understand you get the comicalness of C-3PO's head being knocked off and put on a droid and then Anakin's Anakin's lightsaber being chopped in half I think arm pinned down and, and all those things that happened there but whilst you had that scene once again there's two characters that i would have loved to seen so much more of which is 
Count Dooku and Django. And Count Dooku especially, the guy really only comes into the film about an hour and a half into it. Yeah. When we're already starting to enter the like the final kind of the final settings of the whole movie. And especially as he was referenced as someone at the beginning of the movie who was just like, no, he's you know, he's a Jedi, he was Yoda's pupil. He's completely cool, and then by the end of the movie, he's a Sith Lord um, that is building this kind of world for himself and an army for himself um, and the Emperor. And it's not really too much gone into. I, I mean, I don't know when, obviously, the point of Duke's character was brought in. Was it something that was already always known about? Because... If it was, it would have been great to introduce him as a Jedi in episode one and then see the transition of him from a Jedi to a Sith in episode two. Yeah, That's something I feel we could have, or at least a scene with him and Yoda before the scene we get with them when he's a Sith and when they fight. Yeah, That would have been just a little considering how much time we spent at the beginning of the film, like you said, on the love story, on the politics and everything else that happened for the first hour plus, if we could have just had five minutes more of Dooku time, maybe five minutes more of Django, it would be great to see like a good discussion between Django, Count Dooku and the Emperor. Yeah. Just some more... Once again, it's just little bit more of characters that we really really liked it seems to be the way for a mandalorian anyway in any type of live action that isn't the current series that they just mm. aren't allowed the screen time <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and i remember it's funny because of the original trilogy you know i think in the remastered version they added in more boba fett um because i think you know it's interesting because boba fett you know i i've always loved the fets and you know i just think they're so cool they're just as i said like it's just like to have bounty hunters who not only take on the jedi but like are you know like out to hunt them willingly and like they're really smart and cunning and you know they're these really interesting characters and and it's interesting that they decided to you know when they remade the prequel uh when they remade the original trilogy to add in more boba fett and with this one obviously they've made Django you know quite a central character but yeah, as you said, you know, it's it's not very clearly defined. Even if you think about it's it's weird because for example, Django, his character, you know, he at the beginning, oh, he's obviously a bad guy, he tries to kill Padme. But then he becomes this, you know, subject, um, because he is essentially cloned as for the clone army. But then that puts him in quite an odd spot because it's because the clone army at this point is good. But Django is bad, so is, and this is you know it kind of feels a bit out of place. It's, it's the clone army is ordered by a Jedi, but they're based on an evil character's traits. And I'm you know, and again, that's like a bit of like why was Django chosen? Like, did he, you know, like what's the role there? Um, you know, because clearly Django's out to kill the Jedi, but then all his clones are going to serve the Jedi and have been ordered by a Jedi. So it's a little bit, uh, it doesn't really make sense there, I think. Um, and I think, but if they had given him more context, 
perhaps those sorts of questions or explanations could have been more laid out and and again it's similar with dooku that you know as as you said that you you, you you've got this very powerful character who's clearly putting the strings on quite a key part of the story i mean you, even when he first meets obi-wan obi-wan talks to him like a friend you know and he says like oh dooku you know like let me out and then he's like oh you turn to the back dark side and you know dooku's there like oh yeah well you know and that's the kind of scene where it's like oh dooku's actually a bad guy and, and it's like it, it, it underplays the seriousness of like him as the enemy so much so that it does itself a disservice because he's such a good enemy and he's like i mean he's christopher lee you know he's a great actor he's you know powerful theatrical delivery and they could have made so much more of him and sort of and and also how he and i think his also he could have been a great example to show how a jedi who was trained by yoda the ultimate jedi you know uh, master how someone like him could stray to the dark side you know to sort of as a kind of pre um a pre-telling to anakin's own arc you know um that actually dooku could have really served as sort of this person who everyone oh you know they revere him as this sort of jedi knight and then he's not a jedi knight um and then he becomes a an ultimate sith lord and it's like if they had shown that that could have shown also how anakin was mirrored almost in that you know and how the the emperor was influencing someone like dooku and then also influencing someone like anakin because you see palpatine influencing anakin but then did he also influence dooku in the same way to make him a dark side uh, a, a sith lord you know from a jedi knight because it's interesting that he goes from a jedi knight to being a sith lord like why why isn't that more explored you know it's a very quick transition and he very much comes into it very late in episode two and then he goes out of it very quickly in episode three exactly yeah and it's especially with someone like christopher lee who played the role so well you kind of just really want there to be more mm. i mean i the, like you said, the sudden change from the even the last time Obi-Wan saw him, this guy's like a complete Jedi Knight, even, I don't know, maybe he was training to be a Sith in the background. But it seems to be quite a jump in from what seems not a long time period, mm. him going from one to the other, very much so. But that's, I guess that's one thing that we have, is we always have those it's it's a benefit and it's a negative in star wars across the board in all the films we have great characters who support the main story at all times and so which leaves us in a position where i think that's why people become more fanatical about it because we have all these great characters now to explore Mm. Um, we're fortunate enough that if you really want to there's usually options out there whether they feature in a comic series or a novel series yeah. or something like that but seeing more of another character you mentioned Mace Window mm. would have mm. been amazing because his final introduction into action in Attack of the Clones is just I mean the last half an hour or so of Attack of the Clones is just great yeah I mean, you you get a lot of fan service, you know, in terms of action. Um, and the purple lightsaber. Oh, the purple lightsaber. Jeez, everyone loves the purple lightsaber. Oh. 
but it, it's it's a big point actually. It, again, yeah, with Mace Windu and you know using someone like Samuel L. Jackson, like a great great actor. Again, yeah, he almost feels underused again because he, his roles are very much within the Jedi Council and then with with other Jedi's, and he's sort of the leader. You know, it's the same in Episode Three that he, when he goes to fight Palpatine, that he's the leader of that pack, and he so he's clearly this leading figure of a Jedi, and and also he's quite stern and and stoic against. He's the one who's quite stern against Anakin and tells him no, and you know, like oh, you shouldn't behave like this, and. There could have been, I think, more with maybe Mace Windu and Anakin by themselves or Mace Windu and his own perception of how the Force should be or how Jedi should act. And the fact that, you know, Anakin was going against that and um, and to, again, to explore, to explore more of his own character and thinking and, and give him more depth. Because, um, yeah, by the time you get to the end scene, you're like, oh, God, Mace Windu is like clearly a badass who's a very capable Jedi with an awesome lightsaber um but you, you beyond that you 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 know that he's a jedi council member that he's clearly you know quite well respected but that's it really um and you know it's interesting that you say that because the star wars universe and star wars generally it does have such strong characters and i think that's where some of the storytelling is in the prequels it kind of fails that they almost use more of the cgi plot devices or like kind of to to create the scenes rather than having the characters drive the scenes through the dialogue uh, to explain um either the setup of the world or the setup of the jedi order of the battle between sith and jedi they, they could use the characters more to drive those points which they don't unfortunately and they do use characters in to drive certain points like anakin and padme or you know and you know, the first half is all talking, so it's a lot of character stuff, but it's not it's not as in-depth as it could be, and it's also not as energetic as it could be, and I think those things, you know, if you had really explored the characters and what they have and their desires and things like that, those things would come more to the surface because that's just who the characters are. You would get all these kind of uh, you know, the, the playoffs between, as I said, like Obi-Wan and Anakin and Padme and Anakin and, you know, uh, maybe Mace Windu and Yoda and, and their own kind of perception of the Force or Mace Windu and Obi-Wan and it could have been, you know, them having some sort of arg like, you know, discussion around Anakin and, you know, how it was going to go or something um, to help drive more of those key themes that the characters end up taking up anyway. And well, one of the one of the things I always noticed, especially in Clone Wars, when you said, obviously they use CGI to fill so many points of the film, use so much for the narrative. Mm. One thing that I never really liked, and I think they do it again in the Revenge of the Sith, is a majority. I don't know if it's a hundred percent, but a high majority of all the stormtroopers are CGI. Yeah. Which I thought was a really, I like, I completely get it for the scenes, the battle scenes where there's thousands of them and, you know, there's lasers and lightsabers and battles and things going on all over the place. So it makes complete sense to replicate CGI stormtroopers and put them everywhere and create a whole battlefield. But do the, does it have to be for every scene? I think you even see it in Revenge of the Sith um, when... 
they're carrying out Order sixty six, and the and the stormtroopers walking towards Yoda are all CGI'd. Stormtroopers yeah. all around are all CGI'd. But I guess this is the element you get with Attack of the Clones, like we briefly mentioned uh, when talking about Revenge of the Sith. Attack of the Clones is the first completely digital Star yeah. Wars film, and the actors talk about how that. 80 90 percent of the time there is blue green screen everywhere all the time for pretty much every single scene so it was there was so heavily reliant and that is a george lucas trait as we've discussed before he loves to push things forward he he's an innovator when it comes to film and if there is an avenue there that can be used he would like to use it and explore it and in some way he ends up using these films as he he says himself he's a visual director yeah which is why there's always been discussions even when it goes back to the original trilogies that some of the dialogue it's okay to read but to say is a different thing and that's something we notice so much more with Attack of the Clones, uh, going into Revenge of the Sith, even though I think it's executed better in that film, the, the CGI becomes a huge narrative. Yeah, it's... I think um, with the Lucas kind of filmmaking point, I... Um, so, I, as you said, I think you can see where he's coming from. He's a very visual director. Uh, and I think in the original trilogy, you know, Excuse me. I think, um, you know, for Empire Strikes Back, George Lucas handed over the directing reins because, you know, A New Hope, whilst he directed it and it was a great film, you know, apparently there were massive problems on with him directing it and he was, like, very unsure of himself and his ideas. And, and you know, he only kind of... he I think he says he it came together, like, more in the editing process. Um, and then Empire Strikes Back, you know, it, it's it's his ideas, but then... It's taken on by another filmmaker. And I think this is what's interesting with Attack of the Clones is that, because if you think about it, you know, whilst Lucas has generated the ideas, you know, he he hadn't made the second film previously. Uh, and Attack of the Clones is him making a follow-up to, um, you know, uh, the kind of start of, of, of a trilogy. Uh, and it's his kind of first follow-up. And, and I think that's why, for me, the, the tone is so inconsistent from phantom menace to attack of the clones in that phantom menace you've got this silly serious whole thing going on and then you you know it's almost like george lucas is like oh wait actually this this film has to show anakin getting more serious so let's make it all serious and it's him kind of i think getting caught up in his own idea of how it should be when actually it should be kind of more evenly spread across the two that you know you should have the silliness coming from certain lines in a serious situation rather than just having a character that is you know his only focus is to be silly um and it, it's it's you know similar with attack of the clones that you know he's he clearly has an uh, a mission objective for the film to show that anakin is you know and the world is a serious place and there's lots of going on but he kind of jumps so far over to the other side that it's almost like shows him almost not thinking about how they would slot together and you know as you said earlier you know episode two flows onto episode three much more rather than episode one onto episode two and i think that's almost because of yeah george lucas's sort of i mean you know he hadn't made a second film really or he i mean he had written it and he'd come up with the ideas but he didn't 
you know physically create the the the, the film uh to, to and and as a filmmaker perhaps he wasn't you know he was given almost too much credit to be able to do that sort of second follow-up because i think the empire strikes back you know it's so good because it has a similar tone but it's such a wholly different film from the original one but it nails it in so many ways and the pace is different but it still like moves along in such a great way and there's so many good moments and and it, it almost feels that it's kind of lost with attack of the clones in that there are good moments but it's so kind of subdued down in lots of political drama and then romance drama and then you get the big battle scene at the end so there's not really any space for dialogue but there's a lot of action um to make up almost for the lack of action over the whole film uh so it's almost you know it's you can see where he's coming from in the idea of the trilogy but i think as a filmmaker you know again this is where he could have benefited from having either another director or another writer there to like really help him nail down the, the key themes and how he wants to explore them in a more concise way for the second film also you kind of feel attack of the clones for me so especially in these three films it falls to that age-old thing of being the middle film mm. when it comes to a trilogy and the middle film is almost put under so much pressure because it can't have the exciting ending yeah and it can't have the fresh beginnings to the story it has to have the all the elements that help both movies either side of it succeed to a certain extent obviously not the case with empire as that was just a a brilliant movie almost could be standalone if it wanted to mm. it was just well told and well written and obviously it was like you said it it benefited so much from having a fresh pair of eyes mm. come to that film and saying how about if we do it like this or how about if we take characters this way or take take characters that way whereas in Episode one, two, and three is obviously Lucas's baby from from writing, directing, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it sits on screen. It's all Lucas. And it's not that that's a negative thing because there's so many great elements across all three. It just, you feel at some points Attack of the Clones could have really benefited, like you said, from somebody else coming in here just going oh we just trim a bit here and mm. maybe expose this bit a bit more and kind of go that direction but that's kind of where it sits in this in this middle film world where unfortunately sequels sometimes have too much to live up to yeah. and i just think it had so much story that it had to evolve and push forward it just got confused maybe a couple of times and tripped itself up i think I, you know i think that's a really really important point that you've touched upon the the whole uh, <laughs> i'm gonna call it middle film syndrome um, yeah because <laughs> it's such a big point because you know like i was having this discussion with my brother yesterday actually about how you know it's rare that trilogies really nail a story arc um and particularly middle films because if you think about like famous trilogies like the matrix or indiana jones and you know, those middle films are follow-ups to the first one but kind of you know with because the first ones are so 
groundbreaking that it's it's almost impossible to live up to it in the same way so you have to take a different direction and really you know empire strikes back is the film that in any trilogy really is it's so rare that the second film is not just as good as the first one but almost you know well it's better than it you know um that you know it, it rarely happens in trilogies and and it and it's it's a really difficult task to take on and i i think with um attack of the clones it kind of falls short of that because yeah as you said it's like trying to piece the first and the third film together and it feels like it pieces more of the third film together rather than the first one the first one feels more like a kind of standalone separate feature slash timeline whereas the second and third one feels more like a continuous storyline or timeline i should say um and yeah and it, it it's almost unsure what it is supposed to do as a film that it's 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 yeah it's carrying on the character storylines but then it's also setting them up in a in a whole new direction in terms of where they're they're priorities lie and where their destinies are going to go um and it's it's a very hard thing to do and i and as we've said there are points where it you know it, it's kind of it effectively does it and you know highlights certain things but then it's just he's got the pacing off to the point where it's it's again it's that case of great ideas but badly executed um which and you know and coming back to it because he hadn't really made a second film before, you know, he'd written one, but he, he had never made one. And I think it's, it's such a big task that he kind of, yeah, it was overwhelming that he had to introduce so many storylines and, you know, and Anakin's sort of new tra emotional trajectory. And, and essentially you've got the same characters, but almost different characters because they're all at different points in their lives. And, you know, and, you know, because in episode one, Obi-Wan is a, is a Padawan. And then in episode two, he's the master and, you know, uh, Padme's the queen and then in the second one she's more of a, a diplomat and you know so it's it's and I mean Jar Jar Binks he's an he's an idiot and then he's you know <laughs> uh, just a politician which is also an idiot but in a different respect <laughs> um so it's yeah it's it's a really interesting well it's a, it's a kind of it's it's an odd film um and I think it does suffer from that middle film syndrome but, you know, as we've said, like there are, I think, some really key scenes in it which help, you know, move the Anakin's arc along. And I think overall it 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 serves its purpose in kind of showing how Anakin moved to the dark side. I think it, sh it should have done it more in certain, in certain cases, but it does, you know, um, hone in on those things. At the end of the day, it does serve its purpose. It it focuses on a a number of things that need to be covered in order to give Revenge of the Sith um, life and allow it to do what it does. I think it's just, at the end of the day, I think it was quite, Attack of the Clones ended up being more of a project than Phantom Menace mm. because I feel bringing the digital aspect into it at an even higher level probably took away from the flow of the actual film because there was so much to accomplish on the digital side of attack of the clones compared to the phantom menace and then what you find by revenge of the sith is they've got into a rhythm mm. of that side of things and so that that doesn't really hinder in any way shape or form in the way that you can see it kind of played a part in hindering some of attack of the clones but overall yeah it's a film that is really key in telling the story hmm. but just suffers like a lot of sequel films do as being that uh 
middle film syndrome. Yeah. Um absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh it is a uh, interesting I mean I say interesting. It's it's uh, as I say I I enjoyed it the least out of all three. Uh I think there are some highlight points, but I yeah. Um I think the the biggest thing that they miss out on really is the is the Jedi um exploration that they this was that film almost had the chance to really dive into the Jedi teachings and the Jedi world in a way which would have been really appealing to both like uh you know legacy Star Wars fans and also new Star Wars fans um and I think they could have really made more also of the Jedi in terms of the drama um because I'm, I'm looking at kind of some of my overall thoughts that I'd written down and you know I'd mentioned you know I think in episode one as well like about how Qui-Gon Jinn was kind of the progressive element of the Jedis. And, you know, you see in episode two how conservative they are and how, you know, restrictive they are to Anakin. Um, But this is only through talking. And I think there it's it's kind of like a a missed trick Um, because also, also, to be honest, in, in the trilogy, I think the Jedi ultimately, I hadn't really thought this before, but I, I think they're kind of arrogant, to be honest. Uh, in the way that you know they they're very stubborn in not changing their process or ways for any eventuality including someone like Anakin coming along at a later age the fact that they didn't really have a process for him to bring him in and make him a Jedi to be honest is actually quite surprising because it's like you know this is a, a wise order thousands of years old and then as soon as Anakin pops up they're like oh god like we can't train him and it's like but he's you acknowledge the fact that he's this powerful force entity like, why don't you want to bring him over to the Jedi side rather than almost let him fall to the Sith, you know? And it's almost the arrogance in addressing how Anakin is and his relationship with his mother, for example. Like, that's such a... like Again, one of the things that I'm surprised about is, like, it's such a point of contention for Anakin as a character that why don't Anakin and Obi-Wan go and rescue his mother and bring her to a safe world or... You know, why don't the Jedi just find it in their heart to take her away from slavery, which is ultimately a good thing, and just make her safe and then therefore help Anakin in his emotional journey? Because clearly the guy is, you know, he's a, a Jedi prodigy, uh, but he's been discovered later on by Qui-Gon Jinn. But you can't, it's like, he's been discovered now. He knows about the Jedis and things. You can't just let him, you know, be on his own. He has to come into the Order. So, but the way they, they've kind of brought him in is almost the same as anyone else, and that's their downfall. That it's 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 almost their arrogance of their own ways that ends up leading to the downfall of their own ways. Um, and also Anakin turning on them because you can see that Dooku, um, sorry, not Dooku, Palpatine is is making Anakin more independent through his decision making, um, and the Jedi's are always staying in the idea of the greater good, the collective. Whereas and and they never really address Anakin's sort of own concerns, and because of that, it, it's it's it leaves them at a disadvantage. And actually, you know, kind of rewatching it, I was surprised by how like the Jedi's were just like sitting around and talking and being like, "No, this is the way it should be." And it then it makes me think of Luke in the new films in Last Jedi. That actually, you know, that's one of my favorite things about the Last Jedi is Luke talking about the Force and the whole Force section of that film. And actually, you know, there he addresses like the Jedi were stupid and they were arrogant and their ways were so ancient and old. And actually, that's a really good point in that, like, 
it made me think of this whole Anakin story arc that actually the Jedi was so kind of I don't know, immovable in their own opinion on how things should be that it was kind of made made them outdated and, and they kind of they were you know at risk of themselves and their own ideas funnily enough as soon as you said that about luke i was that's what the thought was going through my mind because he especially in the last jedi he is one that eventually addresses that because you see obviously he had a different way of learning the force and becoming a jedi because he during that process he also had to deal with the conflict with his father mm. and finding out and learning his father's path from anakin's path from being a jedi being one of the most powerful jedi and then finding out he went to the dark side and then luke had to deal with all of that along with becoming a jedi and not learning in a temple either mm. And though all those elements, I think, when they were put together, ended up forming the most progressive thinking of how a Jedi should be thinking or they should be thinking as a whole in order to move forward. You know, as they say at one point, we're ambassadors of peace. We're not here to fight wars, which is what they just end up doing. Yeah. Anyway, still holding on to this, we're ambassadors of peace thing, but ended up being generals in armies and clone armies. And yeah. it's a very, they don't, they think really forwardly in one aspect, but not so forwardly in another, which ends up hindering them a lot, which is what you very much see in Attack of the Clones. That is, they ended up falling short. It goes on, obviously, into Revenge of the Sith. But yes, it's a great point to make. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that's a really good point. Again, that like in Attack of the Clones, it, it does somewhat show like the creation of the clone army is the Jedi's forward thinking. And actually that ends up being their best idea in Attack of the Clones really is having is having this, you know, I can't remember what the name of the Jedi was who ordered the clone no, army. No, I can't remember. Um, but he, you know, orders it 10 years before and then he he's, you know, Obi-Wan mentions he's dead. Um, but that's, you know, probably one of the only instances of the Jedi really looking forward to say like, okay, we need an army. We need it pretty soon uh, because there are forces of evil coming together. And, and it's interesting that in that one aspect that, yeah, as you said, they're like ambassadors of peace, but then they're there creating an army. It's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like hmm, I thought peace was talking rather than fighting, you know? Uh, and it's almost hypocritical. And, and again, I think it comes back down to that, their own hypocrisy eternally like that they're so stubborn to move on their own ways which and it's understandable you know obviously they're, they're like monks and the force is a very powerful thing you know it, it, you, you can't deviate too much because if you do it'll strain to the dark side but if you can't if there's no give or take then you know there's clearly lots of things that they're missing out on and i think you know one of the things that they do miss out on is the fact that palpatine is Darth Sidious, he lives amongst them, and yet they never pick up on the fact that he is this ultimate Sith Lord who's manipulating not only, you know, Jedi like Anakin, but also like, you know, the Republic to vote him in with incredible powers. And and maybe if they were more progressive or more um, you know in, in well, more progressive in their ways, that they would um they would have perhaps noticed something like that or, you know picked up on, on on this sort of influence that was coming from a certain area which maybe they hadn't thought of and 
you know, because again, Mace Windu kind of mentions Palpatine, but they never really look into it. And it almost seems like, again, it's it's like, you know, Palpatine, they don't think they, oh, he's, uh, yeah, they, they're like, oh, he's a politician. He has to be watched. But that's it. And then Dooku, oh, he's an ex-Jedi Knight. He's fine. And it's almost like, are the Jedi really properly considering things? And actually, it goes to show them almost as as naive, you know? And that's the kind, I think that's a great place to end it, really, mm. um, as our kind of summary of Attack of the Clones is, Jedi, what you doing? <laughs> what you thinking? Hi guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Jedi Elder Podcast. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and may the force be with you. Thank <laughs> you.